that we should fight even the thought of dying because we don't want to leave the wonders of this world any longer. We love it here so much. But I have to tell you that the Bible presents death and our approach to death in a much different approach than that. Um, I, I want us to look at the truth that the Bible presents the idea that we who are the bride of Christ have a hope in God's presence and His glory that is greater than anything this earth has to offer us. That what heaven is going to provide for us is so much higher, so much better than anything you've had here that we ought to be glad to leave here in order to be there. Instead of holding on to this life with every bit of our strength. Now that's not to say that we're to wish death. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think some people, some believers, are so afraid of death because they don't have a vision for there. They only have a vision for here. And the Bible has something to say to us about death. So John chapter 11, if you would follow along, uh, I began this message a couple of weeks ago. I'll touch just very, very briefly on what I said then and then we'll go on from there. John 11.1 Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, who we're going to see in the next chapter, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved, please hear this, please hear this, because it's, it's almost like he's saying it to you, saying your name. Now Jesus loved Hannah. Jesus loved Andy. Jesus loved Brittany. That's what he's saying. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and her brother Lazarus. He loved them. And word came that Lazarus was dying. Jesus who healed blind eyes. Jesus who opened deaf ears. Jesus who gave mute tongues speech. And Jesus who knew no limits to His power. Could have done anything. Jesus loved them. And yet it says, when He heard He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place He was. And again, I want you to think about the fact that it's possible for Jesus to love you and not do what makes sense to you. Because you think you have a better plan. You have a better idea of what should happen. I know what would be best for me, Jesus. So if you would just follow my plan, everything would be okay. But is it possible that Jesus can still love you desperately, but do something you don't agree with? Maybe even something you don't like. Maybe even something that stretches your theology just a little bit. I have a friend who says, my theology has never changed. And part of me wants to say, then you've never lived. It's not so much that my theology has changed, it's my understanding of theology has changed. How I have interpreted my own theology has changed a lot over the years. I've kind of boiled it down. I've become simpler with age. I used to have real concern that everybody had good eschatology. Because, after all, we're all going to have to go meet with Jesus, so we want to get this right. I used to be real concerned about a lot of things. Now, I've kind of boiled it down to simply a couple of things. I know Jesus loves me. I don't always understand why, because I'm pretty much a jerk most of the time, but He still loves me. And I believe He's good. Even if I don't understand His ways, I believe He's good. And that's kind of my theology in a nutshell. Jesus loved them, but He waited two more days. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. In other words, as long as I'm in the center of God's will, everything is okay. Nobody 
can do anything to me except for God wants it if I stay in His will. These things He said, and after that He said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, read my lips. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad. Can you even say those words together? Lazarus is dead and I'm glad. That's what he said. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Because he knew if he was there, stuff would happen. He couldn't help himself. Do you know Jesus ruined every funeral he ever attended? He did. Any funeral, including his own. He raised from the dead. It's like you can't invite him to a funeral. I'm glad for your sake I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And I, I said to you, I wanted to give you four points on how the Bible views death. Number one that we looked at very briefly is the Bible often refers to death as sleep. I'm not going to take a lot of time with it, but all throughout the Old Testament, when somebody died, it would say, and he slept with his fathers. The idea is this. When you go to sleep at night, you lay down at night for your six, seven, eight, twelve hours, whatever you decide you need. You lay down at night, though your eyes closed and you seem dead to the world. So much so that you actually have your spouse coming to check to make sure you're still breathing. You seem dead to the world, but in the morning your eyes pop open and you're alive. And that's how God describes death. Is you seem dead to this world, but you open your eyes to a new world. To what's going on over there. Let's keep reading verse 17. Again, that was point number one. The Bible refers to death as sleep. And again, if you weren't here for that, you can get the CD from the sound department. So when Jesus came, He found that He had already been in the tomb four days. Which means, by the way, that Lazarus was dead when the servant came and said, can you come and help? Lazarus was already dead. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I can't tell you how many times we have said the same kind of thing. Lord, if you'd only been here, things would have turned out different. They would be better. Why didn't you come? I mean, haven't you said that kind of thing to Jesus? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do something? But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. My second point was we must develop a heavenly mindset or an eternal mindset. And again, I won't take time to go into 1 Corinthians 15. But in 1 Corinthians 15, God describes death as a type of sowing and reaping. You take this body, this shell, this kernel, and you sow it into the ground, but what you get is much different than what you put into the ground because we're going to come up much different than what we went in. One day, I am going to die. And this body will be buried in the ground. And the eternal body I receive won't look like this body at all. It won't have any weakness or sickness. It won't have frailty or limitations. We won't have to die in heaven. Do you realize that? 
I mean, all throughout the Bible, God talks about feasting and a banquet table. He can't want a lot of fat Christians up there. So I, I believe personally that we're going to be able to eat anything we want with no calories. I mean, one eternal hot fudge Sunday. Come on. That's what heaven's going to be like. Can you imagine sitting down at the table and Jesus said, help yourself. You say, yeah, I know, but I've got this gluten allergy and I'm allergic to nuts and Oh, and he says, no, you got it wrong. There's no allergies up here. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, I agree. What you see here, and I said this last time, it's the only way I could think of it. It's kind of like when the spacemen went to the moon. They wore this suit. What you see here is my earth suit. It's how I live here on earth. Just like they had to live on the moon. This is my earth suit. And one day my earth suit's going to wear out. Because it's frail. In fact, the scripture calls it mortal. The word mortal means death doomed. From the day you were born, you were destined to die. You might grow older. You might grow very old. But death is still a part of this body. That's how he created it. This earth suit's going to fall to the ground. And you'll say, oh, hmm, Pastor Chris is dead. Look at him. Oh well, who's the next? <laughs> but the truth is, when you look at that shell laying on the ground, or maybe in a casket, or maybe in an urn, Does it matter? Because once I'm dead, you can do anything you want. <laughs> what you see is not me, though. Because the truth is, I'm very much alive. Because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, here's my, my, my point in this. What you see here is not the real me. This is an imposter. This is a big mask. The real me is inside. It's the eternal soul, the spirit that God has given me. The real me is inside of me. This shell will die, but the real me will never die because the real me is eternal. And it's the same for you. So, even now, you look at me and you judge me, you think. But you're not judging me. You're judging this. That's why Paul says we no longer judge any man after the flesh. Because we got to stop looking at just the natural. We need a heavenly mindset even towards one another. Years ago, a guy by the name of Rick Joyner had this massive dream. I think it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision dream. Maybe he made it all up. I don't know. But it was interesting. And one of the things he talked about, I mean, God uses imagination, so I don't care if he makes it up. It's good either way. In this thing that he wrote, he talked about going to heaven and seeing people that he knew, but they looked nothing like it. But he knew it was them. Because when you see this shell, even though you only see this shell, the truth is you're also sensing by the Spirit the real me. And so he knew it was the real them, but they had more glory than he ever thought could have been possible. And the truth is, everybody that's sitting in this room has glory upon them. You just don't see it in the natural. We need to develop a heavenly mindset. Let's keep reading. And again, those messages, that I just encapsulated real quick, those messages are available with the sound department if you weren't here. Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. I don't know if that's true or not, by the way, because the Bible doesn't say that Jesus ever said, send Mary. So maybe Martha just made it up thinking Mary should go and be with him, or maybe Jesus said it and the Bible didn't record it. I'm not sure. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, 
but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, these are friends and family that always gather at the time of a funeral, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is this kind of like deja vu here or what? Are they from the same stock? Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, let me read that again. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In the shortest verse in the whole Bible, but one of the most significant, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved, what's the word? Him. Why were they saying that? What drove Jesus' tears? Pardon? Exactly. They made a mistake. They thought he was sad because of Lazarus. He wasn't sad because of Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was sad because they were sad. Because death affects those who remain. So my third point is this. It's okay and normal to grieve and mourn at death. I shouldn't have to say that. But you know, I've lived long enough and I've walked with people. There are Christians out there and maybe you've met them. I hope it's not you. There are Christians who think that because we are Christians, because we are going to heaven, when somebody dies who's a Christian, you shouldn't grieve at all. You should rejoice. Be happy. They're in heaven. Well, grief is not just for the dead. Grief is for the living. Donna's dad died recently. This year. Karen's father passed away. In this church, others have loved ones who have died. It's been a difficult year in that way. But I have to tell you, our grief isn't for those who have gone ahead because they're in the presence of God. Our grief is for those who remain. There is something abnormal. In fact, I want to suggest to you there is something ungodly. There is something unkind about those who have espoused the ideas and even say the words, you shouldn't grieve. Grief is a normal part of our lives. The Scripture says, Jesus wept. And by the way, the word when it says wept, it doesn't mean a tear trickled down his cheek. It means he was racked with sobs. He collapsed on the ground crying because he saw the sorrow that death had created to this family and friends. He looked death in the eye and he said, this is not right, but it's hurting people. And he wept for their sorrow. Jesus was sad and wept, not for Lazarus, because he already said, Lazarus sleeps and I'm going to wake him up. He already knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He wept for Mary, and for Martha, and for the family and the friends. Jesus' sorrow, his grief, was for those who remained. Um, let me also add, I shouldn't have to say this either, but it's come out enough that I'm going to when somebody dies, and I know that for some of you, your tradition, your uh, history is a little bit different. You came out of different denominations, and I understand that, and I honor all that is God within every group of people. But I have to tell you, when somebody dies, there's no use praying for them anymore. They're dead. Praying for the dead doesn't change the state of their eternal soul whatsoever. Everything that is about eternity has to be decided on this side, not on that side. So you praying for them. I mean, I go to funerals and I have people all the time, you know, like the family wants so-and-so to get up and pray for the family and they will pray for their loved one. And I'm thinking it's too late for him, too late for her. Pray for the family. Pray for the friends. Pray that they would come to know Christ. But praying for that loved one doesn't change anything. 
Jesus understands what it is to lose someone you love. In fact, you know, the tradition says that somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16, Joseph died. And Jesus had to confront death in his own family. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to weep with those who weep. There is something almost cruel about the idea that when somebody dies, you shouldn't be sad. You love them. And you're sad not because necessarily they've died. You're sad because you miss them. Uh, I've lost both my mother and my father, and now I've lost my father-in-law. I was looking at a picture last night. Somebody posted it. I don't even know who it was who posted a picture of Karen's parents. I think it was um, one of the Tanner girls or something like that. Posted a picture of Karen's dad and mom at a banquet for somebody else's 25th wedding anniversary. And there's her dad and her mom with huge grins. And I have to believe her dad was laughing. And I looked at that picture and I thought, okay, do you know what I miss most about him? I miss the sparkle in his eye when he was saying something that he knew was going to upset your apple cart. <laughs> when Wally was preaching, he would say something that he knew was going to make you really upset in your theology. I miss that. I miss the impishness that was part of being H. David Edwards. Every once in a while, uh, I'll be out walking. It happened to me just recently. And uh, I saw something as I passed. And I don't even know what it was, but some train of thought flashed through your mind. Because you know it happens so fast, you can hardly even track it unless you consciously think back. But something happened as I was out walking. And suddenly I thought, man, you know, it'd be really nice if I could have my dad here to look at this. Because I think dad would like to see this grave. And I think it was somebody who died like back in wartime. And I think dad would have liked it because dad loved to study about wars and all that was involved. We miss the ones who have gone on ahead of us. And even though we know they're in heaven, we're still sad because we miss seeing them. We miss getting to talk to them again. Getting to have time with them. Getting to hear their advice. Even sometimes getting to deal with the hard things. Because once they've gone on, we realize those hard things weren't as hard as we thought they were which would be a good thing for us to consider in our present relationships. Why wait until they're gone to think, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal? Um, I get up in the morning, and I, you know, one, after my workout, the first thing I do is I take a shower. And I've had to learn a trick. I've had to learn that when I go to take a shower, I flip the knob up that turns the water on, and then I jump back. Because invariably, one of the things that happens is the last person to take a shower forgot to push the knob down first and so the shower sprays right on your head. You guys ever have that happen to you? No! We have a, uh, in our master bath, we have a big vanity. It, it is big. It's big. I mean, I'm talking about Big! It's got two sinks. It's got room in between, a little bit of room on each side. It's big. Probably this big. And um, I don't know why, but you would think two sinks would seem to imply something, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't you think, logically, that two sinks means one is for her and one is for him. Right? Say right. And yet, invariably, I walk in this morning and I find a curling iron. I know what a curling iron is. I find a curling iron in my sink. And then I find this thing that's like a, it's a torture tool. It's got like all these sharp things on it that revolve, you push a button and it spins around, and I don't know if it's like for doing your feet calluses off your feet or something, it's like this big, I don't know. <laughs> it's something. All of those things I say to you only for this. You have loved ones who have gone on before. I asked you a couple weeks ago, for those of you who have had people who you've lost in recent days, and many of you raised your hands. The truth is, all of those things that used to bug you about them, don't seem to bug you as much anymore once they're gone. 
And it's not just because they're not doing it anymore. Because there's a part of you that remembers with a sense of nostalgia. I'd almost rather they be back doing that again. Well, why don't we live that way now with the ones that we love? That had nothing to do with anything, by the way. Okay. All right. Um, I, I said, here was my point. This was my point. That Jesus understands what we feel. And he cares. Do you know that Jesus keeps track of every tear that you have? Did you know that? Psalm 56.8. This would be a good verse for you to keep in your, keep somewhere, maybe on your Kleenex box. Not in my sink. In your sink maybe, but not in my sink. Psalm 56.8 says this, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle, and are they not in your book? He keeps track of every tear. Every tear. There's something wrong with a Christian, a mature believer who says you shouldn't be sad. The truth is, in fact, let me ask you again, how many of you have lost loved ones here? Look around the room. So many. It's wrong when we can't let them be sad for a time. Let them grieve. And grief, by the way, sometimes doesn't follow time constraints in a very logical way. I've told you how when my dad died, um, for a while, for quite a while, I would be driving down the road and see somebody driving towards me in a vehicle that could have been something my dad would have driven. And I see them and he's semi-bald, he's got on black glasses and he's wearing a black shirt. That's all I can tell in that moment. And I've literally, though I know in my mind my dad is dead, I have turned around and followed him for a while. It doesn't make sense. But grief doesn't make sense. It's a sorrow. But we sorrow as those who have hope. I know I'm going to see my dad once again one day. I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to see my father-in-law. I believe also I'm going to see my brother Mikey, who I never got to meet, who died at 16 days old. I'm going to see my sister Jennifer. I'm going to see Tammy again, my other sister who died. Because I believe God in His kindness is going to give them a new body. And Tammy won't be missing vertebrae in her neck anymore and she'll be able to breathe just fine the air of heaven. And I look forward to those days. Let's read on. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in Himself. Notice how He's reacting at the graveside. He already said that he was moved, he was groaning, he was travailing. Then he wept, racking sobs. Now, he groaned again within himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. That's basically a sepulcher. That's how they buried the dead in those days. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the ever practical one, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. I love King James far better. King James, Lord, he stinketh. He stinketh. Can you even say that of the dead? Is that proper? He stinketh. I like her. She's just she's like, I, I, I got no heirs. I'm just who I am. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and, and now please hear his prayer. Listen to why he's praying even. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, so he's already prayed to the Father, and he says, the reason I prayed is so that they could hear me and that they could know that you sent me. Then he stops praying. He goes from praying into another whole realm. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, I don't know when I first heard this, but I love the immensity of this amazing truth. 
that if Jesus had not specified the name Lazarus, then all of the dead and every grave everywhere would have come out. Can't you just imagine it? Here they are in the pits of the grave. And whatever that looks like for the dead in Christ, I don't know. But here they are, almost like waiting for the call. And the call comes forth. Lazarus, come forth. And Abraham leads over to Moses and says, I think he said my name, didn't he? I think I heard Abraham. Didn't I hear Abraham? He said Abraham, didn't he? I love the idea that at the power of him calling forth, everyone who is dead would come forth. My fourth point and final point is this. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. It's a transition from what C.S. Lewis calls this shadow world into the real world of life and joy in God. It's moving us from the temporal to the eternal. Now look back, I want to kind of focus on just those two verses, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am, and follow the thread, please, you know, use your mind as well. Let your spirit connect, but let your mind also connect. I am the resurrection and the life. Now follow this. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It's almost like they're contradictory. Wait a minute, you just said if he dies, he'll live, but you'll never die. What's your point here, Jesus? What are you trying to say? I would suggest to you that on one hand, it's possible for a believer in Christ, a Christian, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I am emphasizing those on purpose because it doesn't matter whether you come to church or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a good person or not. I'm talking about a person who has given their life to Jesus. It's possible for that person to breathe their last breath here and end their existence here within this earth suit, I call it. But Jesus adds that if you believe in me, you will live. In other words, he's saying you will never die eternally if you're a believer in God. Death is never the end for us. It's a doorway that we go through straight into his presence. If we are believers, we never really die eternally. We most often ask people, when we're witnessing to them, we might ask them if they're saved. Are you born again? Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Those are good things to ask. We might even say, have you gone from darkness into light? There's different analogies that the Bible uses. But we could equally say this, and this is kind of where I want to go for the rest of my brief time today. We could equally say, have you died yet? Because if you're a believer in Jesus, you've died already. You've died to yourself. You've died to your old life. You died to your old way of living. Look at Colossians 3 for a minute. Turn to Colossians 3 in verses 1 through 4. And I'm giving you a lot of verses, but don't you love the Bible? Let me ask that again. Don't you love the Bible? Thank you. I thought I was in the wrong place for a minute. Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, that means you're a believer, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's the heavenly mindedness that I've already talked about. Why? For you died. Hear me? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall also appear with Him in glory. When we come to Christ, we die to the old, and we enter into the new, even now in this life. We are partakers of the eternal realm now. We don't have to wait for eternal life. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life right now. From the day you receive Christ as your Savior, you began an eternal life. That's how the Bible describes it. You're dead. But your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 2. Turn there if you would. Ephesians 2. I'm going to give you a lot of verses in a short time. Ephesians 2, verse 1. 
Ephesians 2.1. And you He made alive who were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. As far as God was concerned, you were dead. But you He has made alive. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. In other words, we were dead. We were immersed in sin. There was evilness in us. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Death is not final, but nor do you have to wait 40 years to breathe your last breath to actually die to discover this reality. We have the privilege and the joy of actually dying now so that we can live eternally then and now. Now, as a kid, uh, I was always a little bit afraid of death. I mean, it seems kind of final to me, so that's kind of scary. Um, I used to have this, uh, I don't know what you call it, maybe you've had it, I don't know how to even explain it, but I used to regularly, and I'm talking about regularly, have this experience where you're just right in between sleep and awake. I don't know how to explain it, other than you feel like you're falling into hell itself. You're falling, and it's frightening, it's gripping, it's terrifying. Have you, anybody ever had that? Please. If you have, raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you, what's wrong with you? I used to, honestly, I'm telling you the truth, I would probably have this four or five times a week. Maybe more. This sense of utter fear as I'm falling and then you would awaken, you would startle awake, and your heart would be beating fast, you'd be sweating, you'd be scared. I was afraid. And I knew that somehow that experience related to death. I don't know how I knew it, but in my childish heart growing up, I thought, this is what it feels like to die, and I'm going to die as I'm falling. Maybe straight into hell, because I knew I was a bad boy. And then one day, uh, a thought struck me. And I realized something. You can't kill a dead man. If you're already dead, you can't be killed again. I've watched enough mysteries where somebody has been accused of killing somebody only to prove later that person was already dead so they can't be accused of killing anybody. You can't re-kill a dead man. He's already dead. Well, the truth is, I'm already dead. So I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore because I'm already dead. I've already died. And my true life is hidden with Christ and God. I died in December of 1975 at Circle Sea Ranch in Delavan, New York. We had gone with our church group for a sledding party over at Circle Sea, and that's back when Wes Aram Sr. was still running the place. They didn't have any of the modern conveniences back then. Um, but I can remember one night, Wes had preached on... Well, he only ever had one message, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, Wes had preached, and uh, it bugged me. And I was talking to my brother-in-law, Dave Reynolds, who is now a pastor and a chaplain in the Air Force. And uh, he and I walked up together to the shower house where we could talk and not disturb our bunk mates who were going to bed. And that night, I committed to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I was going after him no matter what. I can remember, uh, it's, it's the weird, it's awkward now that I think about it. I don't understand why we chose the bathroom. But uh, I can remember sitting on the vanity, and that vanity, by the way, was a little bit bigger than our vanity. I can remember sitting on the vanity, it had about six uh, sinks lined up, and just weeping and weeping before God and saying, God, I've said these words so many times in the past, but I'm telling you now, I will never go back. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And that day, I died. I died. I died to the old way of life. I gave Jesus my life and I entered into eternal life right then and there. And I've been walking with eternal life. So people would say to me at various times, 
aren't you afraid? I mean, sometimes you do crazy things. Aren't you afraid? You know, I mean, we've been up on roofs that have been crazy. You don't do stupid things sometimes when you're young and don't have any smarts yet. Uh, and I said, I don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm immortal. And not because I'm young and stupid. I'm immortal because I've already died. I know where I'm going. I don't have to be afraid of death any longer. When I asked Jesus into my heart, He came in and He took over. And He took everything, including my life. I died to myself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's true not just for me. That's true for you if you're a believer here today. If you're a believer, you've already died and your eternal soul has been established in heaven already. You already have a place with Him. Hebrews 9.27 is one of the verses that I used to grapple with a lot. And it says this, It's appointed unto every man once to die. And I used to think it meant, well, you know, everybody's going to die. You can't get away with it. You know, you're just going to die. Okay, we can wrestle, we can struggle, we can try, but you're going to die. But the longer I live, I don't know that that means that at all. I think it means, and please hear me, I think it means you get to choose when you die. And I'm not talking about suicide. You get to choose to either die now to yourself, to your old way, to your selfishness, to your sinfulness. You get to choose now to die to this life and receive in its place eternal, heavenly life, or you wait until then and you breathe your last and you die and you know nothing of eternal life and glory. You get to choose. It's appointed unto everybody to die. When do you want to die? I had a friend of mine recently who made a post on Facebook, and it's got to be some, I don't know, some app on Facebook or something. He said, hey, I just discovered I'm dying on January 12, 2018, or something like that. I thought, okay. Who cares? I'm going to die, in terms of this shell, whenever. And I'm going to live to the fullest as best I can until that day. But I also know that the seed that's inside of me, the imperishable, the immortal, the eternal seed of God has given me life that can never end. It's indestructible. Nothing can kill that seed of life that's inside of me. I can either die to myself in my own sinful life now, or I can wait and breathe my last and die then and Unfortunately, the result is still and always will be hell. It's a choice that we make. Luke 9.24 says this, Jesus speaking, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that's the shell, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I already died back in a bathroom in Delavan in New York. And if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you make the decision to give your life fully to Him for the rest of your life, you have no need to ever fear death again. Because that transaction's already been done. Because it's appointed unto every man once to die. Did you hear me? You only die once. It's appointed unto every man once to die. So that when this body collapses, I'm not dying again. I've already died. I'm just going to sleep. Oh no, yeah, I'm waking up over there. Because in your presence, in your presence, there is joy. That's what we're going to get. A couple of more verses. Uh, I know I'm giving you a lot of verses, but these are like, they're amazing. They're amazing. I was thinking about, I don't often go to Revelation to do my thinking while I'm on my walk. In fact, pretty rarely. But I was thinking about Revelation on a recent walk. I think it was last Saturday, actually. And... Uh, I was thinking about this one verse, and that's why I added it into my notes. Revelation 20, verse 13, if you're following in your Bibles. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. That's talking about the shell of a body that collapses. 
and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That's speaking about hell. This is the second death. Now, didn't he just say it's appointed unto every man once to die? What do you mean? This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of fire was cast into the lake of fire. And he's already said the lake of fire is the second death. So if you're not a believer, if your book is not in the Lamb's book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. That's the second death. So there's appointed unto every man once to die, but there's a second death. Turn over to chapter 21 of Revelation. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, abominable. Say that word ten times. Abominable. abominable. Murderers. Sexually immoral. I think I have a little bit of ADD in my mind sometimes. I'm not sure. Idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So those ones who have been evil in their life, unwashed by the blood of God, have a second death. <coughs> Turn over to Revelation 2, 11. Revelation 2, 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Wait a minute. You mean there's some kind of rank of people called overcomers who don't have to be hurt by the second death? What's that about? <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation 26. Revelation 26. 20 verse 6. There is no Revelation 26. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Oh, a whole new phrase. You have die once, second death. Now you've got first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Which kind of reminds me of a verse in Peter where he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He's talking about you who are believers, who have partaken of the first death, you died to yourself, and therefore the first resurrection. Because if we're in Christ, we've been raised with Christ according to Romans 6. So we no longer have to fear the second death at all. No longer have to fear hell because we've already received first life. I'm not going to die again because I already died once. And if you're a believer, the same is true for you. I've died, but I've also experienced His resurrection power. And here's my counsel to you. If you're afraid of dying, if you're one of those people here who, like me growing up, was very afraid of dying, I mean, I looked at death as this fatal, final thing. It was scary. My recommendation is this. Why don't you just get it over with once and for all? Why don't you die now? And get it done with. Die to yourself. Die to your sins. Die to your own way of life. Die to your selfishness. Die to your own ideas. Let Christ come in and give you new life. Just get it done with and you'll never have to fear death again. If you die now in Christ, you're going to live forever. But if you try to save your life now, the Scripture says you'll die forever. So what's going to happen when I finally breathe my last breath? It's simple. Um, one day, I am going to die. I'm going to breathe my last and I'm going to collapse to the ground. And in that moment, when I finally breathe my last here, this body which has housed my spirit, and by the way, it also housed His spirit, because it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. This body which collapses is going to fall down. And Jesus is going to come and say to me, you know, I've spent a lot of time in your house. How about you come and live in my house? And I can guarantee His house is a lot better than my house. Romans 8, 9-11 through 11 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to or in your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And then Colossians, I've already mentioned, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, if, if you want to have a funeral for me when I die, part of me wants to say to you, you should have done it 40 years ago. Because that's when I really died. It just has taken a while for my body to catch up with that reality. Over the years, and I'm ending now, I've done a lot of funerals. In fact, one year, I believe this is correct. Uh, I've said it a lot, so it's got to be correct. Either that or I made it up in the first time, and I'm now not remembering. But I think this is correct. One year in uh, Sterling, or not in Sterling, I'm sorry, in Kelsium, where we were pastoring, I did 16 funerals in one year. 16. And I think I did one wedding that year. Uh, I had contacted the local funeral home, and I said, listen, if anybody needs a pastor to do a funeral, I don't need any money, don't need anything. I'm just happy to help. I want to serve. So I did 16 funerals that day. And, or that year. And I've noticed something. Every funeral, there's a level of grief and sadness. It doesn't matter what caused the loved one to die. It could be they were drug addicts and everybody at the funeral were drug addicts. They were still sad. There was still sorrow and grief that happened. But there comes a point, either at the graveside or if the weather doesn't permit, there comes a point even in the church in which you have the interment. It's where you commit the body to the ground. You have the casket sitting right there. And invariably, people walk by and sometimes they will take a flower and throw it down on the casket or sometimes the casket's up there and they'll put the flower on the casket or they'll just touch the casket and they'll walk by. And I've noticed over the years, invariably, you're left with either one of two things you can say at that moment. When my father-in-law died in January of this year and he was buried at Oak Ridge Cemetery, I think it is, in uh, Lima area, uh, the casket was there over the hole that had been dug. We had the uh, graveside service, and then people filed past, and then the family filed past, and each one laid their hands upon the casket. And every one of us said something to my father-in-law. Now, I know he's dead. This body is dead, but he's as live now as he was 20, 30 years ago. We just don't see it that way. But what we said to him was very simply this. See you later, Dad. See you later. Because he had a deep faith in God. And we have a faith in God. And I know one day we're going to see him again. And maybe that's true for you and your loved ones. So that when you buried your dad, you said, I'll see you later. But I also did funerals where the loved one who died didn't know Christ. And they didn't know Christ. So as they filed by, all they said was, goodbye. There's nothing more you can say. There's no more hope. As we close today, I want to ask you, if your outer shell were to collapse today, would your loved ones be able to say to you, see you later? Or do they have to just say goodbye? Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> I want you just to take a moment and kind of sequester yourself off with God. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you. Maybe for you, this message has been very real because you've lost a loved one just recently. And the pain of it, the sorrow, the grief is very real. And I knew that going in and I, I, I didn't want to cause you any further pain. And if I did, I'm honestly, I'm sorry and I grieve with you over your loss. But I'm talking now to the living.
talking to those who remain, who sit here today. And I want to ask you a question. Have you died? Have you died yet? I'm not asking if you go to church faithfully or if you serve in some way. I'm not even asking if you raise your hands in worship. I'm asking, have you died to yourself? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your life to take over completely, that the old man would die and you would receive new life that is eternal? It's not enough to go through the emotions. This this is too serious. This is eternal. So I'm asking you, as you sit here today before God Almighty, knowing that one day, unless Jesus returns first, this shell will breathe its last and you will die. My question is this, will you go into the presence of the Lord? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The only way that happens is if you put your complete faith and trust in Him and you live for Him all the rest of your days. You make the decision, I am going to follow you, Jesus, no matter what. I put all of my hope in you. No one else. You are the only one who paid the price with your life for my sins that I might have relationship with God. Not just get out of hell, free card. I want relationship with you, God. If you're here today and you don't have that assurance, I don't care how long you've been here or who you, who you are in the natural. If you don't know Jesus Christ, The eternal Lamb of God is your Savior. And you know that if you died, the best that your loved ones could do is say, see you later. That's the best. But if you don't know Jesus, they're going to have to say goodbye forever. And you don't want that. You want to know Jesus. And you want them to know Jesus. If that's in your heart today and you don't know Him already, I'm not talking about those who have already prayed and believe with all of their heart. If you have not asked Jesus into your heart, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands right now and just say, I want that. I desperately want that. It is the most courageous thing I could do. It's the most manly thing I could do. It's the most womanly thing I could do. Is to receive He who gave His all for me. Is there anyone here? then I'm going to assume that either you already know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're not quite ready. My hope and my prayer will be with you all. That you will know Him. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You for Your Word, for all of the Scriptures that we read today. I thank You for the life that they are to us. That we who have experienced the first death already, And the first resurrection, no longer have to fear the second death. I thank You for the joy of Your life and Your relationship with us. That it's not just that we don't go to hell and we go to heaven. It's that we get to experience Your life now. Thank You for life, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Thank You for the way in which You have come and given us new life and new hope. And where there has been discouragement and despair that has crept into some lives, Lord, I pray for an infusion of hope. Make them a prisoner of hope. Don't let them get away from that. Even when they're despondent, Lord, you know, let things rise up within them that says, okay, I know it's not the end. There's still possibilities out there in God. I pray for encouragement today that You would cause each life that has been given to You to know the fullness of life. Not just life eternal, but life abundant. And I bless each one here today with the grace of Your presence and the joy of their salvation in You. Let them walk with that. 
I ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.